Welcome back to AgWatchers. It's myself, Andrew Whitelaw, uh, along with Matt Dalglish. Uh, and we've also got a guest coming all the way from uh, the UK, from London. We've got Chris Lawson of CRU. And uh, we thought it was a good time of year uh, to talk about fertilizer. And obviously, obviously, in the last 24 hours, there's been a horrific incident in Beirut with fertilizer. But and our, our sort of our thoughts are out with those people there. But we thought... We get Chris on, talk about what's happening in the in the fertilizer market, have a bit of a, a bit of a chat. Um, I guess Matt and I will have to uh, uh, probably declare a, a conflict of interest in that. Uh, and Matt and I are both technically fertilizer traders, in that we've got about two or three thousand tons of uh, pig shit per year to sell, and uh, and Matt tends to generate a lot of shit as well when he's talking. So. That Andrew, that doesn't account. We're actually fertilizer traders and also manufacturers of fertilizer from some of the shit that we speak. I think. <laughs> well, that is true. That's true. That has been, I've heard. I've heard worse things in recent days. Uh, so, Chris, who are you, and uh, what do you do? Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, like you've, you've introduced uh, there, Andrew, I'm a fertiliser analyst uh, based in London. I'm originally from Australia, um, from uh, down in Meningi, the, the mighty uh, Bears. You, you may have heard of that, that football team before, but um, I, I moved to London about just oh, pretty much on the day eight years ago now, actually. So uh, I've been working for a company called CRU for almost six of those years, uh, working in the fertiliser team. Uh, working in a variety of different roles from looking at fertilizer demand. So think about what uh, crops are doing, what farmers are, are, what crops farmers are planting around the world, what fertilizer they're, they're using for that uh, through to uh, covering our phosphate market coverage. Um, and then I've uh, moved on to, to kind of managing the broader team and the analysis that we do on the, on the fertilizer market. So yeah, it's, um, it's, not the it's, it's a weird one to say to introduce yourself when people ask you what you do for a job to say you're a fertilizer analyst it uh kind of a few eyes glaze over or you just get a few uh confused looks but it's a it's a very interesting role uh lots of different market dynamics that we're considering from you know crop prices through to natural gas prices coal prices um through to a lot of uh geopolitical intrigue as well um within the market and then obviously andrew you touched on it there's some um you know pretty touchy subjects as well that we often have to deal with and the the tragic uh, incident in beirut uh, overnight is is one of those sort of things so as you say thoughts are out with with all those that have been affected by that so i guess it's a good point you made there chris you talk about how it's the geopolitics and whatnot and i was just wondering from, from your point of view, analyzing fertilizer, how much of that is fertilizer and the actual inputs into those, like your nitrogens and your coal and whatever else, and how much of that is actually analyzing the output, grains and you know, corn, soybean, wheat? You know, because it's, it's a bit of a mix, isn't it? Yeah, so those demand drivers of you know what what different grain prices are doing are, are very very important we have a as i said a, a dedicated person in the team that's that's looking at that um you know we we measure the kind of affordability levels of, of fertilizer for farmers across the world based on what their domestic crop prices are doing 
and what their domestic uh, fertilizer prices are doing. So we kind of have a ratio that we're, we're measuring there. Now, you know, it's quite a, it's a big topic of debate amongst the team here, how kind of sensitive farmers are to, to fertilizer prices. Um, you know, I, we often say that, you know, you're going to buy nitrogen no matter what, because if you're not putting nitrogen on your crop when it needs it, it's almost like not feeding your newborn baby. Um, yeah. And you know, there, there's other fertilizers like phosphates, which may have a little more sensitivity to to um, those those prices and those demand fundamentals. But we we spend you know a, a bulk of our time uh, looking at yeah those supply dynamics as well, and looking at the the cost of production. That's an incredibly important thing for you know determining what prices are going to do both in the shorter term and and the longer term. So we use your kind of classic uh, supply and demand and, and kind of fixed and variable cost economic approach to, to work out what we think prices will do and what the market will do. So before, before we get on to the, uh, the nitty gritty of telling farmers in Australia how cheap fertilizer is going to be soon and giving them a promise for next year, what's the, uh, what are the, uh, in terms of fertilizer, what's the most important fertilizers for Australia? So Australia is uh, predominantly a urea and phosphate market. Uh, urea is the main source of nitrogen uh, for Australian farmers. Um, there's a little bit of uh, UAN, which is a liquid nitrogen fertiliser, which is, is quite popular in Western Australia uh, and slowly growing in popularity in, in the East Coast as well. Um, and then, you know, with, with phosphates, you've got your classic DAP and MAP, and there's a few other uh, different grades and enhanced fertilizers on, on the phosphate side that are becoming more popular as well now. Uh, potash is another one which uh, we uh, monitor very, very closely and we have uh, get lots of questions about. Uh, it, the, the potash market is, I would say, less dynamic in its, its pricing. It, it moves in one direction for quite a long time. Um, but, and it's not, it's not as um, kind of volatile as what some of the other prices can be. Yeah. So, it's obviously probably the last time we spoke in a lot of detail was back in back in the sort of December last year, I would say. And uh, mm -hmm. we we live in a very different world uh, from what we had back then. And we're sort of back then. I think the big focus for us was at the that point of time we had DAP pricing, which had sort of DAP and MAP had really sort of. I think there were 10-year lows or, or thereabouts. Or, uh, I'll bet you can find whether I'm close or not, but it was it was low pricing levels. Uh, but what's happened to DAP since then? Since since the start of the year? Yes. Yeah, so 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 when we last spoke, Andrew, you're you're right. Uh, DAP prices were uh, plunging to to kind of decade-long lows. Um, there was a, a kind of case of oversupply in the market with some new capacity that had, that had hit from uh, both Morocco and, and Saudi Arabia. And there was a bit of a perfect storm that had, had formed with poor demand in, in 2019. So the US had a, a very bad year with their demand, very wet, uh, a very wet spring meant that farmers couldn't really get out there and put as much phosphate as what they usually would on the crop. So you had, you had this perfect storm in the market that, that had formed and, and pulled prices to these very, very low levels. And those prices were, you know, when we last spoke, uh, 
you know, they were cutting well what we call the cost curve. So, you know, building up the, the cost of production for all the different producers. A lot of producers around the world were losing money uh, at those kind of global prices. So, so since then, we've seen a bit of a pullback in production, particularly in China, which is the largest producer. There was lots of producers there that were uh, bleeding money. So they really started to pull back in production at the end of last year. Uh, then the coronavirus hit and there was various lockdowns. Now, a majority of well, over 30% of the phosphate that's produced in China is actually in Hubei province, which if we go back a year ago, probably not many people had really heard of Hubei <laughs> province before. <laughs> now, everyone knows Hubei, everyone knows Wuhan. Um, so there was some lockdowns there that lasted for, for a couple of weeks that um, further dented their production. Um, and we slowly saw, um, yeah, that kind of supply and demand balance uh, correct, and we've seen prices move up as a result of that. So part of, um, like we just outlined a little bit there, Chris, in terms of the, I guess, the short-term implications when Wuhan was impacted um, initially by COVID, but is there any ongoing, say if we get a reduction like we're seeing around the world in global growth, is there any particular factors um, that may play into fertiliser, whether it's an input into fertiliser for the creation of it, any prices, if that, if that global growth comes off to the degree around the world, um, I think the most recent one in the US was a significant drop to the US um, second quarter GDP, a massive drop. If that's extended across the next year or so, will we go into a bit of a recession or a depressionary phase? Um, are there any kind of inputs that go into the creation of fertiliser that will, that will kind of um, impact, say, future price? Yeah, Matt, it's a, it's a really good question. We've done a lot of work looking at that over the past, um, you know, three or four months particularly, uh, because, you know, we are in the midst of a recession going into a, a deep recession and we do think about you know, what that means for both supply and demand of fertilisers. Um, if you look at the demand patterns so far in, in fertiliser markets around the world this year, they've been outstandingly strong, all things considered. Um, there's farmers around the world have been buying their inputs early because they're concerned about the supply. So we've seen a little bit of a shift in seasonality, but for the most part, you know, that demand has been exceptionally strong and there's been concerns about, you know, farmer credit and their, their ability to, to pay for these inputs. Lots of those concerns have been, you know, dissipated, um, around the world. So, so we're not too concerned about the, the demand front. From a supply perspective, um, you know, you think about your, your key inputs that are going into fertilizer. Natural gas is the, the key one for producing, um, you know, urea around the world. That is super cheap at the moment. It's cheap in the US. It's cheap in Europe. So you've got very low input costs and those cost curves uh, that we talk about a lot have, have moved down significantly over the course of this year. Um, and some of the other minerals that are required you know, to be mined out of the ground, like phosphate rock and potash. Um, again, the supply of those has been relatively unaffected. Uh, the balance sheets of those producers are generally okay. So we think that, that at the moment there's a relatively low uh, risk to supply and demand uh, in the market. And that, that initial shock that happened when lots of lockdowns around the world occurred, you know, we saw fertiliser kind of classed as an essential commodity which meant that lots of manufacturing facilities could continue, that it meant that logistics could still continue. There was a bit of disruption here or there, 
but for the most part, because fertilizer is that key input, that essential commodity, they were able to continue onwards. Yeah, so, so at the moment then, things are looking, in terms of farmers around the world or, or buyers around the world have, have bought in early. Uh, so what has that done to pricing then? Of, of, of DAP and urea? So, yeah, it's, so if we start with urea, urea pricing has been uh, very volatile so far this year. It, it's moved, the, the global benchmarks that we track have, have kind of ranged between 200 to $250 uh, throughout the, the course of the last 12 months. Um, and they've moved, you know, swung kind of wildly and that's, that's not too uncommon because it's a very seasonal market. So if you have some buyers coming in like the, you know, the US or uh, Brazil, they all of a sudden need some supply. You see prices tick up uh, historically pretty quickly. Um, but with lots of these disruptions that are going on around the world and some of these different you know, oil price crashes and gas price crashes and things like that, that also has an effect on, on the sentiment in the market. Now, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've seen urea prices start to shoot up again uh, after hitting some very low levels kind of over uh, June and, and July. Those urea prices have started to shoot up again because you've got some very strange behaviour happening between China and India. India is one of the largest, if not the largest, importer of, of fertiliser in the world. There's a skirmish going on on the border between China and India at the moment. The Indian government's essentially trying to restrict trade with China, which may not be the wisest thing to do, considering they have a pretty drastically bad uh, trade imbalance with China. And so that's meant that, you know, there's been all these different kind of conflicts flying about in the fertilizer market that suggested that India can't buy Chinese material and, you know, and then they say they can again. So you get lots of volatility from some of those geopolitical issues that are going on in the world at the moment. Um, that, that's affecting those prices. But, but ultimately, like there's lots of noise, but if we think about where those prices actually are, you know, they're, they're kind of at a similar level, maybe a little bit lower to where they were at the, at the beginning of this year, end of last year when we last spoke, we do expect them to, to move a little bit higher uh, over the next six months or so. So when those uh, Aussie farmers do start to, to come back and look at buying their inputs for next year's crop, we would expect, you know, based on what global prices suggest, uh, that they, they might be paying uh, a little bit more for, for their nitrogen uh, for next year's crop, um, but still, in historic terms, relatively cheap. We're kind of at the bottom of the industry cycle at the moment. So prices, we think, are still at a, a relatively low level and, and very affordable for farmers. Because if I look at some sort of global benchmarks, you're probably looking at, what just now around about that sort of 250 mark around about there but yep. historically it's averaged probably what more like a 350 to 400 sort of a range so it's still like like you say it's still cheap historically and and that's sort of uh, you know a good sign going forward you know even even if even if we get a 50 dollar jump it's still relatively cheap compared to where it has been in, in previous yeah, years. Yeah, for, for, for nitrogen fertilizer, you know, if we, we think about the, the big picture here, um, you know, there's been, there was lots of capacity that was built uh, around five years ago around the world. Uh, people trying to, uh, different companies trying to 
essentially capitalize on the cheap uh, energy feed stocks that they have, you know, not just selling gas into that straight gas market, trying to value add. So that brought a lot of new capacity into the market, um, lots of low cost capacity as well, which has naturally pulled those global prices lower. And, and as I said, we're, we're in a, we think about the industry in kind of long-term super cycles, you know, 25 year cycles, where the industry is, is at the moment in, in a bit of a trough uh, from, a, from a price perspective. And, you know, again, think long-term, that means with, with low prices at the moment, the incentive to invest is, is lower. So you would expect longer term, those prices to, to start to increase again, but we don't really think anything too drastic is going to happen and farmers are going to have to be paying those kind of five, six, $700 a, a, a tonne of, of urea, again, from a global perspective. Uh, than what they were, um, you know, perhaps back in the, the boom times of 2008, 2009. Yeah. So, so before we go on to, on to DAP, uh, I thought Matt and I would do a little bit on, on, on manure and a bit of an analysis there. Um, we, we found that the, the sort of, when we do our analytical models, the prices stayed, you know, very stable compared to what we're seeing with DAP and urea. Uh, so we're, we're seeing it roughly uh, roughly $15 a tonne, free on truck. Um, Bridgewater Piggery, uh, just on the other side of Bendigo. Uh, so staying pretty stable and, and that, that, that's available if you want to call one of us. And uh, this podcast is sponsored by Matt and, Matt and Andrew's Piggery. And uh, yeah, it has, uh, it's an alternate source of organic dry matter along with nitrogen and uh, and other biologicals so do you guys do anything on manure uh we we are yeah exploring coverage into the uh pig ship market at the moment andrew but um yeah i'm not sure the the market demand is is there for that uh, market analysis just yet but well i can give i gave you a chart flat 15 dollars a ton from from now until I reckon 2025, and I reckon that will be pretty accurate. But but Matt and I are also have cornered the market for uh, for that particular uh, shire. <laughs> <laughs> so after that that sort of short interlude, what about DAP? What what is uh, what is happening there? Or, or phosphate? Sorry. Yep. So, so with phosphate markets, uh, as I said before, when we last spoke around uh, well, over six months ago now, prices were at the lowest level for, for a long time and they have uh, moved higher since. Um, so, yeah, the, the kind of market we think needed to move a, a little bit higher because it, it was you know, reaching the floor. Um, so no great surprises that it has moved higher. Um, as I say, the, the demand has been uh, really good for, for phosphates so far this year. Um, and some of that capacity pullback or production pullback from, from the end of last year is starting to trickle through into the market now. Um, so we, we do anticipate those prices to continue uh, moving higher over the, the course of um, the next six months or so. Uh, again, there's lots of strange dynamics that are playing out in this this market at the moment. Um, there's there's one big uh, trade case that's been launched in in the US. The US is a producer of phosphates. It produces millions and millions of tons of phosphate 
um, a year, uh, but it is also becoming more import dependent and some of its capacity is, is closed down. There's been quite a lot of capacity rationalization there over the last 10 years or so. And essentially there's been lots of imports arriving from Morocco and Russia, uh, which have, um, you know, uh, pulled prices much lower in that market and one of the, the US companies has uh, fail, uh, filed a case for some countervailing duties. Uh, so okay. what that is, has done is, you know, that, that case is not successful yet, um, but what, what it is, you know, that case will be decided kind of at the beginning of next year. It's not going to change the global supply and demand pitch too much, but what it does is it, it trades, uh, it changes the trade routes quite drastically. Changes the flows. So, you know, we think, yeah, and and it changes the, you know, the availability of, of phosphates for, you know, those. So Australia, for example, is is quite um, reliant on phosphate coming in from, it produces it itself, but it also relies on phosphate coming in from China and phosphate coming in from Saudi Arabia. So that Chinese material, we think that's still going to comfortably find a home in Australia because they can't send stuff into the US. So there's not too much um, issues of supply there. But that Saudi Arabian material, you know, the, the kind of producers and traders there may find they're going to get better uh, profitability by selling into the US because that, that market is now opened up a little bit for them over, over the coming few months. So there's these weird kind of trade flows that are going on that, that we're monitoring very, very closely that will you know, have a bit of an impact and will produce some strange little spots of volatility uh, in different markets. You know, it's not going to have too much of an effect on Australia, but perhaps a little one. It's not, it's not that dissimilar to any other market, really. Like good example in recent times in ag in Australia would be, well, definitely barley. And obviously with the, the, the tariffs into China, which leads to trade flows, having to find new avenues for it to go to, or, or Matt, in your case, you can probably talk about it, uh, live export and changing trade flows there. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just the, the ebbs and flows of, of, uh, of, a, of a free market and, uh, and where it goes. So, so in summary, if you could sum up in sort of Yuri and DAP in, in, in a sentence, what would, you, what would you say in terms of the market going forward? So to, to put it very, very simply, we, we think that, you know, when, when Australian farmers come to buy their inputs uh, at the beginning of 2021, that's usually when they start to think about that. Um, we would anticipate that they're likely to pay slightly higher prices for both the urea uh, and the phosphate that they're buying. And you know, there's obviously a whole lot of supply chain um, anomalies that, that need to be considered within all of that. But if we consider it from a global perspective, your, um, your phosphate and urea prices are going to be slightly higher. But from a historical perspective, still going to be, you know, very much in the affordable range. Um, and yeah, there, there shouldn't be too many issues when it comes to supply. Maybe have some, some different origins coming from, from here or there, but for the most part, not too much to be concerned about from an S&D perspective. So in terms of when we, when we last spoke as well, um, that was when, when DAP was all over the press because it was so cheap in Australia. Um, and one of the, I guess, one of the concerns that I had was that it was so hard to actually find 
find pricing on on Australian fertilizer markets. And uh, I guess that's one of the things that we, we're sort of looking at as, as a as, as part of our, I guess, Matt and I's day job is looking at providing some form of, you know, fair value type of model, or not even fair value, it's probably not the right word, to sort of delivered model. And I think that's probably the important thing to to um, to pick up on is that, that we're talking a lot just now in, in global pricing, uh, but there is obviously still freight, unloading, insurance, uh, merchandising, and that's, I guess, one of the areas that, that Matt and I want to look down is, is um, providing effectively a landed uh, Australian model. But that's, that's the sort of uh, where, where, where Matt and I are looking to go. And we think it's probably something that's important ongoing for the industry to have that kind of transparency. Because I think in, in Australia, we've, uh, we've probably lacked that ability to see what the actual uh, price of of fertilizer is because it's it's not quoted the same way as you would get you know sheepyard prices or, or or grain prices but but yeah that's it's really interesting chris and i think it is like it is an interesting market and uh this we, we 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 obviously look at it from a little bit further away than you than you guys at cru uh, but it's just it's just fantastic how many variables go into actually uh, you know producing fertilizer and, and where that market goes so so yeah matt did you have anything to add or? uh not particularly just reiterating what you're saying though with that aspect of the transparency around the australian um setting um i think even if you extend that idea of transparency obviously there are some areas of livestock um, markets that it's pretty clear and and uh, able to follow, uh, you know, objective kind of information, but but there are aspects, even pockets of the livestock space, you know, that are still lacking a bit of transparency. That need, you know, need a bit more information shone on it, and hopefully we can do that. But um, yeah, including into the third space and uh, potentially a few other areas um, would be good to to um, to shine. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, and. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, here at CRU, as you guys say, we're we're covering kind of global benchmarks around the world for the different fertilisers. We're not taking you know a, a deep dive into that kind of Australian retail market, but we we can really help to um, to provide the the transparency of, of what's going on in those global benchmarks. As as you say, there's not really a a very liquid exchange that's out there where people can monitor you know, what's going on with the fertilizer futures. It, it doesn't, doesn't really work like that. Um, so yeah, our, our job at CRU is to provide, you know, transparency into to what is happening with prices and then uh, what is happening on a, you know, supply and demand perspective. So farmers can be, you know, we have clients that are farmers, we have clients that are fertilizer producers and they're all, all around the world. And you know, it's about, making clear to people what's happening in the market and, and our perspective on things and you know, ultimately you know coming from a from a farm myself it's you know I, I find it important that farmers are spending quite a lot of money on on fertilizers um and it's important for them to make sure that they're you know getting the right um value for money and 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 all of that so um 
yeah, it, it's been great to chat markets with you guys and uh, dig into the manure a little bit and um, really appreciate <laughs> it and look forward to, to working with you both more in the future. No, no. And I, and I think we, we, we're, we're, we're big fans of CRU because you've got a very much similar viewpoint to the market as us in that the view that you have on the market isn't just, you know, grabbing it from your gut feeling or putting your finger in the air and seeing which way the wind blows. It's objective, it's, it's independent, uh, it's original, uh, and, and, and it comes from people with experience. And that's, I guess, uh, Matt and I's aim is always to do that in our, our own way, is to sort of uh, uh, provide that sort of objective, independent and experienced analysis of the markets. It's not just, uh, you know, guesswork it's uh or looking at what other people are saying it's 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 having an idea and then taking it forward you know and that sort of cliche sort of uh matt was it data to decisions that's uh that's our moniker <laughs> so yeah chris uh like again i appreciate it uh that you guys are coming out i can see out the back of your window there that it's uh nice and sunny uh and you've probably only got about or just now, 5th of August, you probably only got about five or six days of nice weather uh, ahead of you. Uh, so you might want to take your laptop outside and enjoy that before, uh, uh, while you can. And uh, and yeah, whilst whilst Matt and I are in uh, in lockdown. So so again, thanks very much for uh, coming along. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers.